Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome to JU Israel, the Teacher's Lounge, where we keep you connected to what's going on in Israel and give you insight behind the headlines. I am your host, Michael Unterberg, here as always with co-host Alan Goldman. How's it going, Alan? It's going really well, Mike. Where are you? I'm in Orlando, Florida, and it is very humid. It looks really nice, and then you walk outside out of air conditioning, and it is... Kind of gross. And that's sad. And we are also here with producer Matt Littman. How's it going, Matt? It is going great. I am not in Florida. I am in Modian. Yeah, and yet our which is also connection, very humid. Yeah, I'm in a front which is gorgeous and breezy. And uh, for today's, sorry, fellas. And for today's topic, we are going to do what may sound like a news potpourri. But it's actually, I think, there's a common side to them that we want to address. And our topics for today are uh, the Druzim who are pulling out of the army, uh, the release of Ahed Tamimi from prison, the new uh, flotilla to free Gaza, and the reactions overall to the nation state bill, which is really what the Druzim story is related to. And so our topic for today is that we are, what it means to live in an age where there is protest, but not a lot of solutions or problem solving. Where there's clearly, uh, yeah, go ahead. I think you missed one topic too, no? What I missed? The, there's the Pride Parade tomorrow in Jerusalem. So the Pride Parade, I think, is a little bit different. I think the Pride Parade is not, I, I don't know that that's a protest. No, but there's the, what's been, the protests that were happening over the surrogate law that's connected to that. So right this year, yeah. I think it's it's taken on the nature almost of a protest, even though that's not obviously the original source of the uh, of the occasion. I think it has taken on that kind of feeling this year. But I do think that there is a there is an articulated set of things that they are uh, talking about, including tolerance and legal recognition. It's not the same as. I mean, the, the very idea of the parade of being a celebration, or Matt, you were telling me there's going to be like a support parade for the support? For the uh, parade? Yeah, Appar- apparently from Modian, which is where I live, there's going to be a convoy of uh, a thousand cars blocking up road, uh, Route 1, the main road into Jerusalem tomorrow, uh, in solidarity with the, because uh, a lot of the roads are closed tomorrow, so people can't actually get to the parade. So instead, they're driving. So just outside the parade and blocking up the road, the main highway, so that there'll be like solidarity for the event. Oh, what that, roads are what roads are closed? Some of the roads around Jerusalem. So oh, because of the because of the parade. Yeah. How, so many, how many things? Mm-hmm. Say again. How many are they expecting? How many people are they expecting? I don't know, but there was calls going around Facebook for people to join this. Uh, Convoy into into right. Jerusalem tomorrow in solidarity. So they're making additional traffic blockages, or they're taking advantage of the pla- traffic blockage to show solidarity. I am I'm genuinely sure. either way because if you're way, blocking, addition- away. <laughs> yeah. Well, no. If you're blocking additional roads, then that's a protest. If it's solidarity for a pride parade, a pride parade is not what I would call a protest. No, yes. I, I would. I agree with you. I agree with you. But it's as my, Matt said, it's because of the surrogate law that that has come under controversy. It's taken on this atmosphere of of protest that seems to be bubbling in the country in, in general. Well, there is. I think a lot of these things come under 
uh, under the, the overall sense that what the nation state law, which we addressed in the previous episode, is doing is it's sort of formalizing this Israeli shift to the right and away from democratic norms to more uh, nationalistic norms. And, well, let, let, let's go through a few of them. Yeah, let's start with the nation state because that's still very bubbling. I, it's something that's interesting because it has not left the front pages. I mean, it's it even has become not. more. It's even become more intense. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's gotten, I think, further up in the headlines. And in particular, the aspect of the story, uh, well, uh, well, Matt had an example of an Arabic lesson, which I would not put into the category of protests. So just just to, te- to tell our listeners what, what that was about. So a number of organizations who seek to promote shared citizenship in Israel got together because one of the provisions of this new law is that the status of Arabic in the country is now going to be a special status or something they're calling it. Um, it's no longer an official language. It's not an official language. It's got a special status. So to protest this, in uh, Tel Aviv, they organized the world's largest Arabic lesson and got thousands and thousands of people together to come for an afternoon and, and learn Arabic, um, which I thought was a very nice way of, uh, of the people fighting back in a way that was uh, showing, showing their disdain for this new law. Or making a statement. Yeah. Making a right. statement. I think my, my, like, I, I would say that's... Yeah, go, well, I would say that's a more positive statement. In other words, it's not a protest in the air. It's saying, let's do something positive to show that we Absolutely. see this language is important. I, I just yeah. want to say, Mike, can we just back up for a second? Because sure. Because some of our listeners may not have listened to the last podcast. I know that sounds crazy. And uh, they may not be following so much. So maybe in three sentences, you could just give us what the nation-state law is and the controversy around it. Well, the nation-state law is essentially a basic law. The basic laws are the set of laws that Israel is making that the idea is that they will eventually become a constitution. This is the first time a basic law has addressed the Jewish identity of the state and it locks in things like, you know, uh, 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 that, that, that Hebrew the is the official language, that the flag with the two blue stripes and the star, that Tikva is the national mm-hmm. anthem. And and it, is, and it, it the, the importance of Jewish settlement and development, like sort of generic statements, which I think in and of themselves have pretty universal consensus in Israel. But what's triggering the, uh, uh, the, the, the discomfort, to say the least, is the fact that they're not balanced by statements that, of course, none of this will infringe on the 25% of Israeli citizens who are not Jewish. So it, because it doesn't... Fact- They've left out explicit language saying equality and democracy from this basic law. Yeah, the lack of that sort of balance in the law is making people nervous. And I, and I think it's hard to argue that that isn't intentional. That's not a, that's not a bug of the, of the law. That's a feature that the people who put that into law were from the right-wing part of the government, and they absolutely wanted to put that stamp out there. And no, I, we, know, we know, we know that because yeah. in earlier versions of the law, those, those, those statements were in there and they and got taken out. Correct. And I would, I would put the law itself into the category of a protest without solutions. In other words, we're, and by protest, I mean, I'm going to assert my opinion. I'm not going to talk about how to reconcile that with other issues. I am just going to go out there and say, 
I feel strongly X. Uh, okay, well, that you're not addressing the fact that that's actually a pretty complicated issue. And, 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 and I think a reasonable, intelligent person can ask, well, how do you reconcile those things? And if your answer is, well, I don't care, then it's hard to take your cause seriously, in my opinion. That, to me, is the flaw underlying the nation-state law, as I think it is the flaw of a flotilla coming and saying, well, it's terrible that Gaza's under siege. Oh, okay, well, what should we do about that? They're clearly a belligerent, uh, terrorist-run force with plans to destroy Israel and Egypt. And when given the chance, they are an aggressive, border-crossing, dangerous force. So how would you like to do that? As long as you keep saying, it's terrible what's happening in Gaza, and it is. Conditions in Gaza are not good. Okay, well, let's talk about solutions. And, and, and if we're not talking seriously about solutions, then it's hard for me to take your flotilla protests seriously. And Israel very, very strictly controls what goes in and out of Gaza through the sea and the border and the land borders in Israel. And Egypt, of course, uh, in, uh, in the Rafah um, border crossing also very strictly controls what goes in and out. And, and the reason for that is because it's it, exactly as you said. That if, if it was just quite open, which seems to be what people are claiming it should be, then you have a terrorist-run um, uh, enclave that whenever given the chance, and even in, under this strict supervision, devotes a tremendous amount of materials and resources to building um, uh, weapons to destroy Israel. Right. Tunnels, rockets. Yes. It's 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 so strange. It's weird. It, it comes off as naive and stupid, and therefore what? unworthy of serious consideration. I think. Go ahead. So I, I find it very bizarre. I find people who I respect their opinions in in you know foreign policy or politics and all of those, especially you know coming from out outside of Israel who speak of this and only focus on the suffering of the civilians, which is true. The civilians in, in Gaza are suffering terribly. And, and should be helped. These, these and should be helped. Yeah. And focus on that and that it's Israel's fault because of the, because of the strict um, uh, uh, oversight of what goes in and out of Gaza, right? I'm going to add... And, and it's ridiculous because it, 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 it's run by a terrorist state that does everything it can to build weapons to destroy Israel. <laughs> I'll, I'll ask you a stupid question. Which is stupider to ignore? The Egyptian role or the role of the Palestinians in not stopping it from becoming an aggressive belligerent force, which means you have to keep it under wraps. I mean, I mean, it's just, I mean, I don't know. I mean, both of those things seem clearly, you know, extremely problematic. And I don't understand how people who really are intelligent people don't see that. Um, I'm not disagreeing with you, Alan. I'm not. But I'm going to play devil's advocate for a second, okay? Um, devil's advocate, I think, in, the, in this situation would claim that if everything was open, if the border was open, if the sea blockade w- was not in existence, then Hamas would not need to resort to building up a terror network. We're not need to resort to importing my, weapons. I, I'm, I'm not saying I agree with that, but I, I'm saying from no, a very... I understand, you're playing, I understand you're playing devil's advocate. Fine. So let me answer that. 
that's just that's just absurd because their stated goal is to rid the, the Palestine of the Zionist, illegitimate Zionist aggressive terrorists. Yes, absolutely. So, because so, as far so as they wouldn't concerned, they're being occupied. And they, don't just, if, they don't just want Gaza. They want all of Israel. So, so that, I, that argument doesn't even, I, I understand that, doesn't but even I'm start saying, anywhere. If you're a European uh, do-gooder sitting in Oslo and you want to do good and you want to help people and you want to come to humanitarian aid, a great way to do that without understanding necessarily the consequences of your actions, or maybe you do understand and that's why you're doing it as well, but that's a cause. That's a noble cause to help an oppressed poor people. And I'm just saying that that's, that's the perception. Whether the perception is accurate or not, that is the perception. Yeah, and that's that, what that perception saying. is stupid. It's stupid. Exactly. That's what we're saying. That's the perception okay. is stupid. Because you're not there, looking at There are multiple intelligence sides to debates. And there are, there are valid reasons to... Look, Israel and Gaza had to somewhat change its policy. What was it, 2010? When they were... They deemed things luxury items that they weren't sending, like candy and toys. And people said, well, now you're just being punitive. That's not security. Now you're just being nasty. So Israel resumed. Right. Like all these things flow in from Israel. Israel's supplying energy, necessities, food, clothing, shelter, which in many cases is diverted to things like tunnels to burrow in to kill Israelis. To not start with, look, the human situation, the human, uh, not human rights, the human uh, suffering, I don't know, in Gaza has to be addressed. But we have to do it in such a way that the lives of Egyptians and Israelis are not put at risk by solving this problem. Whatever solutions we have, the sine qua non of addressing this problem is the lives of civilians in Gaza have to be rescued from deplorable conditions and the lives of Israelis and Egyptians have to be kept safe from the terrorist forces that exist in Gaza. If you can't say that full sentence, then I'm not interested in your opinion because you obviously haven't thought the issue through you being stupid. So the flotilla, oh, is another flotilla. Ooh, boats. And they're leaving. Where are they leaving from? Not Turkey now. Italy? It's Norwegian, no? Yeah, but I forgot what port they were leaving from. Okay, so right. they're in the water now. And they're, when are they arriving? Friday, Sunday? It's a social media approach of, well, now we'll bring attention to our No, they were there. They're already there. One of, the, one of the boats was already stopped. Oh, yeah? Yeah. And, and, and that's the crazy thing. Israel says, you have humanitarian stuff? Fine, we'll bring it in. Because it, this whole idea that nothing goes into the Gaza Strip is not true, as you just said. It, 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 it does flow through Israel. Israel just, just has a strict policy of making sure that most of the stuff there cannot be used to make weapons to to to, yeah, to launch right to launch uh, attacks against Israel. So they take these flotillas, they bring them to the port in Ashdod, they go through the what's on them, and anything that's deemed humanitarian and, and fits the yes, restricted list of things that Israel deems are not going to be used as weapons against Israel goes through. By the way, we know that that, that list is not, is not absolute because concrete. Concrete can be used to build houses, which is very important. But concrete is also used to build tunnels that are used to attack Israel. So it's like, so all these people are saying, well, Israel could just end the, end, end the problems by opening up all the borders. It, it, again, as Mike said, it's just, it's just not serious. And if you really want to help the people in Gaza, you have to address the complex nature of this and the fact that Israel cannot solve the problem by just 
going away. Man, I guess if we just left, really going away, we could. But I think that, that uh, would know, solve the problem. Yes, actually, definitely. that would solve the problem because the life for Palestinians would be even worse. Let's be honest, right? If Israel just went away, the life for the Palestinians would be worse, much worse. So, uh, so people who just who make those claims are not giving real solutions. I think that that's what Mike is trying to say in terms of what the theme going here. Right. What's a real solution to Gaza? And that is the problem we're in. And by the way, and part of the problem is is really government that doesn't have a real solution. Um, and that's why uh, a commentator who I respect a lot in, his, in Israel, who is my kind of go-to for these kinds of things, Ron Ben Ishai, you know, he points out that we're basically, we're, we're, we're headed towards a really, you know, again, another big bad situation. Things sound calm somewhat, you know, so there's some fires here, balloons, and we're, we're sort of on a, on a, you know, precipice, you could say. But part, part of the problem is because Israel's, Israel hasn't also really made kind of significant uh, decisions to try and, and solve it either. I'm not really sure what they are, but. Yeah, again, I, 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 there's, a, there's, there's, there's a homeless drug addict walking down the streets swinging a sword. Yeah. Well, he's obviously in need and suffering because he's homeless and a drug addict. Okay. Well, we have a couple of concerns. We have to worry about him and his safety and security and comfort, and we have to make sure he can't hurt the people around him. I, 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 to say, we also have to recognize this homeless drug addict has children, right, right, who are suffering because of him also. All right, and let's put him and in the so house with them and let's make it a rifle. Do you know what I mean? Right. Yeah, I'm saying, like, what do we yeah. mean? These are complicated problems, and to talk about, well, just let him out. Let him walk down the street. I mean, it's so silly. You're not addressing the problem or you're not to be in Oslo and say, well, I feel good because I complained about their, you know, I think we should invite uh, Kim Jong-un into the community of nations and give him equal standing and treat North Korea like a regular nation and, and ease up the economic burden of sanctions and just let them trade normally and do business. Not right. only is that a danger to the world because he's developing nuclear weapons and missiles, quite frankly, I don't really believe that it will help the people of North Korea. And that's why the world treats North Korea the way it does, under siege, because it is an aggressive, right. belligerent, immoral n state. Okay, that's what Hamasistan is in Gaza. And you have to treat it the same way you would treat Kim Jong-un. And that means to a certain extent... The people of Gaza, like the people of North Korea, are kind of screwed. And we have to figure out a way to make things as better, as good for them as we can while we keep this toxic, dangerous, boundary-crossing enemy from so, causing trouble. Okay, so I, I've got another question. So wait, sorry, okay. so let's... Let, Matt, let sorry, me ask I, this I, I, we're, a question. Matt, 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 can I just stop for a second? Can we move over to, to Mimi? It had to be because I think we're going to get stuck in this Gaza discussion for the whole time. I think we yeah, should. Tamimi, but also I think very important probably is the Druzim. get the idea, right? The Druzim, I think, gets less attention in Western media, unless Matt wanted to finish his point. Well, I think let's carry on because it can be extended. I'll come back to it as we, as okay, we go. Okay, great. So Ahed Tamimi was released from prison. Who is Ahed Tamimi? She is this young lady who really since she was – 12 years 13, old or so 12, yeah. in 2000. Yeah, I don't know exactly. No, I, the reports are different of her age, yeah, but in yeah. like 2012. Like, Mad was, like Madonna. Yeah. 
So she was like 12 or 13 in 2012. So it shouldn't be that hard to keep track of her age, but apparently it is. But she, she's a person who's from a family of uh, Palestinian protesters who use social media. She's gone viral a few times. She has long, curly, dirty blonde hair and very light skin. So she looks sort of interesting as a Palestinian to Western viewers. Um, and, you know, there are photographs and videos of her waving her fists at soldiers in a very belligerent way. And, you know, these have become viral in the anti-Israel world. soldiers. Also hitting soldiers. So the most re- – so jumping on even, and pulling at soldiers. Yeah. Even the yeah, most really, recent. Yeah, really like pulling on and attacking, like jumping on soldiers. In the most recent one, she kicks and slaps and punches a couple of soldiers who reacted very – like they just sort of – were very standoffish and they were very gentle while they were under assault. And so many in Israel saw that video and were like, wow, Kola Kavod, those, it's so impressive, the restraint and, and the moral level of our army. And a lot of Israelis said, why isn't this woman in jail? She just punched and kicked the right. soldier. So she was arrested and she was put on trial in a closed military trial, which a lot of people had trouble with. And she did go to prison for eight months, seven months, eight months, By I the think. Way, you- you should also just add, because of, you talked before about her appearance, the, um, there were also rumors circulating at the time of her arrest that she was actually a plant from one of the European left-wing organizations that were trying to get this social media uh, pr- presence and a story going. I mean, I was shocked to see even like Michael Oren in the conspiracy theory world of like, is oh my she God, really yeah. who she says she is? Like, I'm just throwing it out there just so our, our listeners are aware of that was also something that was doing the rounds. I happen to think it's BS, but just... Well, it's obviously bad. This is, I mean, this family has been there. I mean, this a long time. What is this, the Americans? Like she's secretly embedded and her sister also. It is interesting. Her parents don't seem so light-skinned, but there are, I think it's like the broader Bargudi Hamula that has like a whole light-skinned branch. They have redheads and blondes. There is a Palestinian branch. It's also... The, yeah, it's a branch of the Egyptians also. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are, 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 are gingy, red. There's also it's very a, dark Egyptians. You have a yeah. lot of them in Jericho. Yeah, yeah. There's also a very dark Egyptian. Uh, I, it's just, you know, it's a little... It just goes to show you, it's just going to show you how ridiculous this whole outer skin and hair thing is because it's, you know, well, it's I been cross-cultural, that, <laughs> you know, it, it, all over the world, people. Yeah. You know. The world, people, you know, we have to stop the you know, skin deep yeah, exactly. uh, pigeonholing of people. But yeah. a, a lot of us have the reaction to the flotilla and to the Ahed Tamimi story, which is we roll our eyes and we go idiots. But the truth is these things do have uh, uh, cachet around the world and they do have a social media impact. And as opposed to something like the flotilla, what she's essentially protesting is the fact that she lives in the West Bank. She's not a citizen of the state of Israel. Um, and she lives under Israeli military law, not under, she's not a citizen of anything. In other words, she at least, and she may not be proposing solutions, but she is, I think, falls more into, obviously, you can't put her in the Martin Luther King Gandhi camp of nonviolence if she's punching soldiers in the face. <laughs> but though, though some uh, Israeli entertainers like uh, want to put her in the in the level uh, compared to Anne Frank, believe it or not. Oh my God! Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's crazy. That was uh, that was a poet. Yeah, who, who? Yeah, yeah. Well, you see, you see the 
the various reactions around Israeli society, uh, you know, she's so heroic or she's not even who she says she is, which is fine. You, you expect the spectrum of reactions. But what do you think, what do you think is the balanced, appropriate reaction of, you know, we claim to be people of the center who don't swing to extremes. I, I guess I've already telegraphed my take on the whole story. What do you what, guys think? So what's your question about? Okay, go ahead, Matt. Since I cut you off before, you, you no, it's, it's just what we're, I'm, I'm trying to. Again, I'm I'm not saying I agree with it, the, these perspectives, but I'm just trying to think of myself. Right? Okay, I'm, I'm sitting here in Israel. I see terrible stories happening around the world. I see awful things that are happening. I see Syrian refugees. I see terrible, all sorts of terrible, terrible stories. And I'm thinking to myself, what can I do? What can I do to? Can I do anything to help these people? So. I'm just trying to imagine if I was uh, a Norwegian or whatever it is sitting and thinking, ah, oh, I see the, the suffering that these people are. Uh, or, or, are British. Um, or British. Or British. Yeah, okay. Um, or British. Um, that these people are experiencing, wherever it may be, in Gaza or, or anywhere around the world. And obviously we only have a limited amount of knowledge and a limited perspective on what's happening. I'm thinking to myself, how would I, what can I do, right? So if I'm a European and I want to get on a flotilla or I want to send money to a flotilla, to help these oppressed people as, as I'm perceiving it. Do, do, I don't know if you understand my question, but we're talking here about protests and demonstrations. I, I, I do, but why, but why would I understand? And I understand your frustration completely, one of your, your frustration. But if you want to help people, wouldn't you want to like investigate and really try and figure out what the issue is and how you can help them the best? Absolutely, but that's what I, that's what my, my my challenge is, is. How do you do that? I'll give you an example because Michael was talking before about somebody, you know, uh, an alcoholic walking around with a sword and da da da. So uh, for our listeners, I, I was in London last week, um, and outside one of the tube stations in London, there was a, a guy sitting on the floor. In my opinion, he was strung out, um, but he was uh, begging for money. And uh, my ten-year-old daughter said to me, "Abba, why aren't you giving me any money? He's probably hungry." So I had to try and explain to her that by giving somebody who looks like that, who in my opinion was strung out and was going to be using that money to buy things that were not good for them, that instead it's better to give it to a charity that will help them and give them food and, and take them in and, and help them in that other way. So, so that, I, that's I, a, had a, I had a friend in a person in, when I was a freshman at the New School for Social Research back in New York in the, in the early 80s when things were very interesting in New York. She would, she would literally go down the street, take them into a shop, and buy them a sandwich. That's also another option. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you could also so carry, money. like, fruits in your bag and give those out. Yeah. So, we, so when I lived in the States, we used to have a box of granola bars and a, and a crate of water in, in the car. And when people would stop us at traffic lights, that's what we would do. We'd granola bars and water and stuff like that. But, again, the question is, how, how do we help people that need help? And, again, one person on the street in London is a completely different situation but what is this protest movement about? How, no, but, how we but, help people? But what you're doing is it's thoughtful. You're thinking about the situation. You're saying, okay, how can I best help them? And giving them money might not be the best help. Just giving them five bucks on the street or whatever may not be the best help. Matt, aren't but, you answering you know, your own question? My knee-jerk yeah. reaction is to throw money at them. But when I stop and think about how that's only going to make things worse, I'm not going to do the instinctive thing, which is stupid. I'm going to use my higher reasoning skills and come up with a better thing, which feels intuitively, I totally get your daughter's question, intuitively that feels funny. Yes, I, absolutely. But I'm saying from, from the perspective of people, you, you've said that the people who are helping, wanting to get rid of embargoes or get rid of... 
these or, or the borders, whatever, it's stupid, right? And, yeah. and I'm agreeing with you, it's stupid. Yeah. But if they're of limited uh, information and they don't have the resources to understand what the, in, what the impact of doing that would be, which I, I guess they don't, how many people who are supporting the Palestinians or want to help the Palestinians in Gaza have ever read the Hamas Charter? So, the, uh, but is it available to them? Worthwhile? How is many your those point people that they're well intentioned? Yeah. My point how is they're well intentioned. With, with my, ten, Matt, my point is they're well intentioned, but misinformed. Or how uninformed. many of them have internet? Yeah, Google's a great so, thing. Uh, today, today <laughs> yeah, I think it's today. Being ill, that, it's very hard. Being Ill, Ill informed is on you. Yeah, There's yeah. no excuse for it unless you're an idiot. So you, what you're saying is they're well-intentioned idiots. Many of them are. I'm sure you're right. Okay, I would rather not be an idiot. I choose to – I'm going to be an idiot about some things, but I'm going to choose to be as unidiotic as I can. And so right. before I voice an opinion on an issue, I'm going to consider it carefully. Silly not going to listen to one-sided, overly simplistic things, especially in a problem that's existed for 70 years, and somebody gives me a simplistic solution, and I go, yeah, why don't they do that? Yeah, yeah, we should just do that. As soon as you say, why don't you just do that, my, my antennae go up, that's garbage, because if you could just do it, somebody would have done it. So where does this put us with the Tamimi? I think it's complicated to have a democracy and when people complain about things, even if it's things that you, that aren't either you disagree with or it's not your passionate issue. I think you have to, uh, to me, the quote is the JFK quote of something like, I'm going to mess it up, but it's a society that doesn't, that makes, uh, Nonviolent protest. protest impossible makes violent protest inevitable. Right. And so I think it is to Israel's credit that it allows a level of protesting uh, that makes her violence inexcusable, but her protesting should be viable and open and we're a society that should allow it. And I also think that, the, uh, I mean, I have to say that I think from the Palestinian perspective, you know, it's a brilliant move. I mean, here you have a young girl who's, you know, yes, you could say it's slapping a soldier's violence, but it's clearly a very, you know, um, it, it, it's symbolic violence, really. It is, but it's a, it's a she's hard. Not picking up, she's not picking up a rock. She's not obviously picking up another weapon. So it's, it's, really, it's really a brilliant move because it really puts Israel in a bind. But it's a hard, it's a hard, you, it's hard to put the cork back on that bottle. If you keep, if you keep to the non-violent mantra, then you hold a moral high ground. If the Palestinians had had a non-violent protest system, our outlook would be very different. No, one hundred percent. I one hundred percent agree with you, and I think actually they would be much more effective. I think they would come a lot further. But on the other hand, Israel allows violence from its citizens, and that's part of the problem here is that they're not they're not citizens. A much higher level of violence from its citizens. Um, uh, you'd have to back that up. I don't know. For what instance, means. for instance, um, you know, protests in uh, in the Haredi world that turn very violent that. That people are just—they're not—they're not arrested. They're not put in jail. They don't get jail sentences. Even if they're stopped for a little while, then they're let go. Very or protests in in settlements. Shouldn't right? they be? What? Shouldn't they be arrested? They should be, and they're not. That's what I'm saying. Okay. So Israel allows a certain level of violence from its civilians, its citizens, that it won't won't there, and that that's 
again, part of, I think, the complexity of the issue. And by the way, that example of Haredim protesting not being drafted or not being in the workforce. And violently protesting. And violently, and you're 20% of the population, you're not contributing to the economy, you're just draining it. You need to give me a solution, buddy, because if you're just, again, asserting yourself without, without addressing the complications, I'm not going to take you seriously. And I do think a violent protester who's Haredi should go to jail. So let's, let's, that moves us into these Druzim, which I hope people are still hanging in here. I know all the surveys say that after 22 minutes, but I think that that's the, one of the most powerful things that's going on right now in the country is, the, is a couple Druzi. Druzi are a, a minority in Israel. Um, who are very loyal to Israel for the most part. Many, many serve in the army. Many get to, there's also a, a decent amount of Jerusalem who become officers and even high-ranking officers. And I yeah. would say it's a major um, point of pride in Israel and in the pro-Israel yeah. world. It's a major bragging point of, 100%. what do you mean we're an apartheid state? Look, we have Jerusalem who are commanders in the army and have rise to the upper levels of Israeli society. It's an ethnic group that's Arabic-speaking but don't consider themselves Arabs, but they're clearly part of, they're a minority group in Israel who are very engaged in Israeli life. And here you have young men saying, well, I don't have to be in the army, so I'm going to leave because of the nation-state law, which treats me as a second-class citizen. Right, and two officers who are, uh, you know, uh, regular army officers of now are resigning, got suspended for... For, for saying they're resigning over the over the, the nation state law because of the politics behind it is the reason they were suspended that the army should stay out of out of politics that's the reason that the that the um, chief of staff have given and now a third who's a reserve officer medical officer who's 49 years old is also is now leaving the reserves um, what do you think guys tough one no uh, you, first of all, put it into your category of protest. How does this fit into protest? And is it have a solution? And yeah. is it is it it's nonviolent? Obviously, well, it's, there there is a there is a solution, but it's yeah. uh, the solution is to change the the bill. I agree. I think the solution is obvious, and the protest is potent and right to cuts to the heart of the issue. If you want us to feel invested, then you have to make us really feel like we're equal parts of this story and the bill does yep. the law doesn't do that and, and this I'm is in. really the biggest challenge to the law because it really faces israel in a lot yep. of different spots and the protest really hits israel in its gut because the the military in israel as many know is is sank you know is sanctioned uh, you know is very uh, it's holy. yeah and so now and and politics is supposed to stay out of it but i always think that that's kind of ridiculous how can politics can't stay out of the army I mean... Just to suspend me, that's fine. I'm willing to... If if that means I'm going to die on that cross, then I will, because that's the level of protest I feel. So suspend me if that's not... I do think it's important to keep political issues out of the army, but he as an individual has the right to... Right, but the but the army is politics because you can't remove it because the army is is, is an army of its citizens and its citizens are part of the body politic and, and... you know, I understand, uh, but the even the illusion of a nonpartisan army is essential for yeah. a d- democracy to function. Uh, I agree. I agree in terms of that. But there, then there are these issues that I think that you know. See, he as an individual uh, can lose his and commission. It, and another well, community that's starting to affect is the Bedouin community. Many people don't realize actually, also many Bedouins serve in the army. Yep. By the way, also many Arabs who are not Bedouin or 
you know, yeah, uh, other it, regular Arabs also serve in the army. But what's interesting um, is we're talking here about the individual's right to protest and the individual protests. Like these individual soldiers as a community yet, right. the Jerusalem have not pulled out en masse of the army, but yeah. individuals have. Now it's interesting because if you think of those of you who were listening last week when we interviewed Professor Amichai Cohen, he was saying that one of the things with the nation state law is that it, um, as individuals, it's still protecting individual rights for minorities, but it's a collective um, right which it has question marks over. Could we, so in theory? Right. So it's interesting here that people are exercising their individual rights in protest against what's being done to them as a community. Right. Um, that's a good and, point. and that's interesting. And interesting again that the community itself has not yet. They, they've met with uh, right. Prime Minister. Netanyahu, they've met with senior politicians, but as of yet, they haven't actually um, taken the step of pulling out of the army en masse. And you're saying like the community, that meaning, meaning that the community leaders haven't come out and made a statement. Right. Not yet to say none of our We're boys not. should go to the army. Or right. Or supporting. right. Look, I, I think it's Which really, they may do. They may do in the future. Who knows where this will go. But, uh. And I, I, what one could also argue, again, is that as we said in the beginning, like when you were saying, this is kind of a partisan law. That's what yeah. kind of came, is coming out of this. So it's like, it's a partisan law that, and now it's for political you know, purposes, for political yeah. purposes. And Look, uh, even I, the finance I, minister, Moshe Kahlon came out recently and he said, he's part of the government, he's part of the coalition. Yeah. He said, if I would have known exactly what was going in or how it would be understood, interpreted, I would never have signed off on it. But by I, the way, I, I think it's a little naive of him, but okay. as only a Jewish state can, apparently there's a rumor going out that, that president Rivlin has said, has to sign the, has to sign the law or he I love this. And right. So he said, so rumors going out that he said he'll sign it in Arabic. So there's been a, a shocking of back and forth going on. If he signs it in Arabic, does it make it legal or not? Right. Or because, because it's not an official language. It's not official language, but until he, until he signs the law, it still is an official language. So yeah, that's a like, very to love the, such to a love the Yiddish Jewish cup, state. Right? Look, I, of course, I, missing the point. Yeah. <laughs> It's very Talmudic. I would have hoped that our basic laws would all be things that unite us as Israelis and not Amen. things that uh, that divide us and cause political division. But Except we're that, that, that's that's exactly the point. That is the that is the difficulty and the complexity that we're faced with because you use the word unite us as Israelis, and this law is specifying Jewish over. You know the Jewish nature in Israel. Look, and I that, do that's think the complexity we're in the world. In the but world it is a Jewish state, and and I do it think our Jewish minority state, population, twenty five percent of Israelis, have to understand that they are a minority in a Jewish state, and they they have to have their rights protected and oh. be equal citizens in every way in a Jewish state. So that's a it's a hard circle yeah. to square. It's a difficult um, issue. But this I'm agree with you, but my, yeah. that's my point. That's exactly goes to the yeah. core of it. Because yeah. also and that goes to the core of Jewish identity in diaspora. This is a discussion I have with my students often. The core of identity in Jewish diaspora, well you're not Israeli, but this is the Jewish state, but it's also the Israeli state. Although that's Israel that. sees you as proto-Israeli, it sees you yes. as an Israeli citizen in the yes. making as soon as you get off the plane. Look, Israel does, but do they see themselves? I don't and know. That's Many, right. Some do, some that's, don't. That's the, that's the complexity of, of this modern state we're making. It's a complexity of the only state of a rebuilt people who survived 2,000 years of exile trying to reconstitute, and at 70 years old in the life of a state, that's adolescence. 
Yep. So we have a lot of growing up and maturing to do to become the healthy adult state that we will be, uh, God willing, in the future through the hard work of those of us who live here and our support from abroad. So let's end on that positive note. And what I think is that yeah. actually, I think in the end was a pretty important episode. Although, uh, if feel, you know, addressing them as potpourri didn't give any story its full thing, but I think I think the issues that we unpacked from it made it worthwhile. So thank you very much, guys. Thank you. Thank Mike. you. Stay cool in Orlando and Modi'in while I sit in breezy, gorgeous Efrat. I think I'm going to go in the pool. Oh, man. Uh, Just twist the knife. <laughs> we have a kid's paddling pool outside. I mean, that's as far as I can go. So. All right, I'll oh, come my- over. We, we can flap around in that, Matt. They have one of those huge <laughs> paddles for the lake. That's huge paddle things that look like surfboards. I guess they're, they're like old men's surfboards. They paddle around the lake. And, yeah, just now you twisted the knife and like shoved it up a little. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. Have well, good day, everybody. Thank you so much. Bye, guys. Okay, guys. Bye, bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Jerusalem U, the Israel Teachers Lounge podcast. Please feel free to subscribe through whichever service you use. Also, Come join us on the Facebook page and ask us questions and keep up to date with what we're doing. We love feedback. Also, we would really appreciate it if you could take a few minutes and review and rate us on iTunes or Stitcher. It would make a very big difference for us and you would earn our eternal gratitude. Thanks so much.